You're listening to audio from Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. For more information, go to cbcsavannah.com. Lord, we rejoice in that cross that we just sung about. God, there is no greater gift than the cross of Jesus Christ. That we as rebellious, evil, unbelieving sinners could be made right with the perfect holy, majestic God. Lord, it's too good to be true, but it is true. And so we rejoice and we celebrate and we worship. We're thankful people, Lord. And we come to you this morning, Lord, and I ask that you would fill us, your church, with your Holy Spirit. And God, I ask that you would speak through your word like you have spoken through your word through the centuries, by the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, you know my sin, it's ever before you. You know I am weak, I am broken, I am not adequate to do this without you, but Lord, you say if a man remains in you, he will bear much fruit. So God, I pray that you would speak through me, God. Just use my words, use my voice to declare the awesome goodness of the gospel. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Guys, can I have a seat? Well, this week I was driving to work, I believe on Wednesday, and on my way in, I stopped at a stoplight and did what most people do when you stop at a stoplight, scroll through my phone, and I came across, it was a stoplight, and I came across a news article that I found a little bit interesting. The article was entitled, Sweden's Museum of Failed Products. Sweden's Museum of Failed Products. And this article highlighted 51 products over the last 10 or 15 years that have been total flops, completely failed. So a couple of my thought were pretty good. Um, this one may be familiar to you. We have a slide for it. Green ketchup. That one came out five or six years ago and uh, didn't do so hot. Next one, Blockbuster Video. Remember the days you used to go in the store, look at the genres, actually pick out a video? Well, those days are no more. Couple more, this is one of my favorites, Colgate beef lasagna. <laughs> Colgate, the toothpaste company, decided that it would be a good move to create beef lasagna, frozen dinner, and this is the author of uh, the article said, this would be the definition of brand extension failure, which I would agree. <laughs> Next we have Coke Black, a Coca-Cola product that was coffee-flavored Coke. Didn't go so good. This is another one of my favorites, this is the Rejuvenique facial mask. You put this facial mask on, it sends electric impulses to your face better than Botox, and apparently uh, it just helps your face look great. That one, that one didn't get This is my personal favorite, this last one right here. Harley Davidson perfume and cologne. <laughs> the description was woody notes and hints of tobacco. <laughs> Not the best. A museum of failed products. And I got to thinking about this article and what we're gonna see this morning is very different than that. We're not gonna look at a museum of failed products, of products that have have just not had any success. We're actually gonna see our God on display. And what we're gonna learn as we see our God on display is that there is no God like our God. There is no God like our God. 
I think this morning, even as Bill shared before we worship, we come here in different spots. Maybe for you, you're encouraged, you're in a good season of life with family or uh, spiritually or whatever it may be, and you're excited to hear from the word. You're excited to be worshiping this, uh, this morning with the church, and that's great. But I think for the, the most of us in the room, it is very apparent that suffering is among us. There are challenges, there are trials, whether it's emotional, spiritual, physical. We live in a broken and fallen world. And what we need this morning more than anything is to have God through the power of his Holy Spirit teach us through his word who he is. And ultimately that there is no God like our God. One pastor and theologian named A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our mind, what floods our mind when we think about God is actually the most important thing about us. And so the beauty of what we get to do this morning is we get to let the word of God and the spirit of God shape our heart and our mind to see that there is no God like our God. If you've been here, you know we're in a series called Kingdoms Collide. And what we've been doing is looking at the book of Daniel. We're going through a chapter each week. And so this week we find ourselves in Daniel chapter three. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open to that particular spot. A study we've been doing in Daniel is talking about what it looks like for the kingdom of God to collide with the kingdom of the world. And we've seen the kingdom of the world summarized by the Babylonians, right? And their pagan culture. And in the last couple of weeks, uh, we've looked at chapters one and two. Bill talked about chapter one, and we've seen these men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel himself, who have resolved to not assimilate into the pagan culture. They are Jews, they are in exile. The Babylonians uh, have tried to assimilate them into their culture. They're saying, no, 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 we're not gonna do that. We are gonna serve God, we're gonna honor him, we're gonna live for him. And then chapter two, we looked at Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. He can't figure it out. He's trying to interpret it. Daniel interprets the dream. And then we see this promotion where Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are promoted. These Jews who should not be promoted are promoted. And we're gonna notice in this passage, although the book is entitled Daniel, Daniel does not show up. His name's not actually in Daniel chapter three. And what's happening is if you look at the end of chapter two, Daniel is taking care of the affairs in the province. He's doing his job. But we're gonna look specifically at these three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. A familiar story to us, but let's pick up in verse one. And here's what we're gonna do. I'm just gonna walk through the narrative and we're gonna see three particular ways that there's no God like our God. And so I'm gonna stop and just highlight three ways as we, as we get to them. So we'll start in verse one, chapter three. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Okay, so we get our intro here. We're about two to five years or so after chapter two. Okay, so these are still young men. And remember we had the dream in chapter two and as Bill described the dream last week, the head of the dream was golden and that was, to descri- that was supposed to picture Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom. Okay, well apparently Nebuchadnezzar liked this because he decides to create a statue what is 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. 
90 feet tall, overlaid in gold. To give you a little perspective, look up the ceiling. Everyone look up. All right. Almost four times the size of the ceiling you're looking at. Balcony, I know y'all, you know, you get the picture. 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. And essentially what's happening is he's getting the who's who of society to come to this ceremony. So he's got uh, the military commanders, the lawyers, the finance guys, the politicians, everyone who is anybody in the society with any power was coming to this dedication of this image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse three. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, quite an ensemble there, we got a little Scottish, got a little elevator music, we got a few different things going on there. You are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the people's nations and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Okay, so we get this vivid picture of this scene, right? So the plain of Dura was about five to 10 miles south of, of Babylon itself. So they're in this rural area, this 90 foot overladen gold statue is before them. We have this sea of people, probably thousands of people at the time, and the herald comes up. So it's a long-standing Babylonian tradition for the herald to announce the decrees and the commands of the king. So the herald stands up and says, hey, here's the image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up and you are going to bow down and worship it. I'm not gonna give you an option. And if you don't bow down and worship it, well, then we're gonna throw you into the burning, fiery furnace, okay? And this ensemble of instruments that we talked about, right? You got a little jazz, you got a little bagpipes. It was just the best of the best from all over the world. Nebuchadnezzar had summoned the best musical talent from all over the world. And what's happening there is he's trying to play into the emotions, okay? Not only is the image intimidating in and of itself, but if this music would compel them in an emotional way to bow down to this image. So you got your Beyonce, you got your T-Swift, you got your Coldplay, all gathered together. And so the people bow down. Sea of people bowing for this image. Verse eight, therefore, this is where it gets fun. At that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Okay, so the Chaldeans would have been locals, right? These were the Babylonian astrologers and they are not happy because apparently they are seeing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as we're about to learn and they're not bowing down. So these Chaldeans are upset and they're frustrated and they, declare, they come to King Nebuchadnezzar in verse nine and they say, listen how they butter him up. Oh, king, live forever. You, oh, king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Well, there are some certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. 
You can hear the jealousy in their tone, can't you? Look, we're the locals, King. We're the ones who should be in this position of power and authority, but these Jews who are exiles and are not one of us are actually in the position that we should be in. So what do they do? Well, a little tattletale action. We'll go tell this king. We'll show them for not worshiping. Verse 13, Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king and Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Now, if you're ready, here's a second chance. When you hear the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the golden image that I've made well and good. But if you do not worship, you, should be, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And catch this. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Remember, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, teenage boys, probably between the ages of 18 to 22. They would have been college students in our culture. And you gotta think, we gotta remember the hostility and the pressures that have been surrounding this moment. Okay? We talked about the image itself, the authority piece. Nebuchadnezzar was arguably the most powerful king to ever live. He's built this image that was meant in every form to dominate. He was an authoritarian dictator. And these three dreaded words are coming off his lips. Burning, fiery, furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have known this is a serious threat. They knew that the Babylonians had a history of death by incineration. There's accounts of that happening in the past. They know this isn't some false bravado, but this is a genuine threat. And not even the authority piece, but think about the conformity piece. I sound a little British when I said that. The conformity piece. One commentator said, the crowd gets its backsides in the air, its noses to the ground, and enjoys their job security. They get their backsides in the air, their noses to the ground, they enjoy their job security. There's a tremendous invisible coercion that comes from being among a mob of flattened worshipers. And here we are. You feel the tension? When kingdoms collide, the kingdom of the Babylonians and their image, their false gods versus the kingdom of God. And I think in this moment, there would have been so many opportunities for these three to take the easy road out. I mean, you can picture them talking to each other. Shadrach, come on, man. This is a golden statue. It is a joke. It's not real. We can bow down real quick. I mean, we're in the back. No one's gonna notice. Or maybe, guys, let's be respectful. Come on, let's just think about this logically. He's given us the promotion. We don't deserve this, his grace. Let's just give him a nod. We can pray to the real God in our hearts. God understands. He gets the pressures we're feeling. Or maybe this one. If we bow, we won't die. After all, Judah could use some friends in high places right now. What do they do? Verse 16, 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us, deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, I love that. If not, if he doesn't, be it known to you, O king, we're not serving your gods. We're not worshiping the golden image you set up. The question I asked as I read this passage throughout the week is how? How on earth with this kind of authority, with this kind of conformity, with these things going on, these pressures they were facing, these are young men, 18 to 22 years old. How on earth were they able to do this? And I think the answer is they knew that there is no God like our God. And I think specifically they saw that we have a God who is worthy. We have a God who is worthy. Look at their response in verse 17. They're saying, our God is able. If this be so, our God whom we serve, he's able to deliver us from the burning fire furnace. It doesn't matter what happens. You can throw us in there. Our God's capable, he's able. He created the earth. He sustains the earth by the word of his power. He created us. The universe is spinning on its axis because he is allowing it to. Your, the breath coming in and out of your lungs, he is allowing it to come in and out. We don't really care. Our God's able. Throw us in the furnace. We don't care. Come on. But verse 18, they follow up with, but if he doesn't. And what they're saying here in essence is, even if you throw us in and we are burned to smithereens, within five minutes, our bodies are complete dust and ashes. We're not bound down to your gods. It's not gonna happen. Despite the cost, we're choosing to not bow down. One pastor said these men were spiritually fireproof before God made them physically fireproof. I love that. These men were spiritually fireproof before God made them physically fireproof. That it doesn't matter what you do to me because I've got a God who's able, he's capable, and if he doesn't, we're still, we're still gonna worship him. We're gonna honor him. You can almost hear Paul's words, to live as Christ, to die as gain, can't you? Isn't it true though for us that it's harder to obey when we know obedience will cost us? Isn't it true? I don't know what was going through their minds in this moment. I know that they believe that God is capable and able, but I kind of think that they might've wondered if they were gonna die. I think they probably thought they were gonna die. The but if not peace. But they still obey even when they know it's gonna cost them. I think we often come to God with conditional statements. God, I'll obey you if you give me a spouse. God, I will obey you if my life works how I plan it out to work. God, I'll obey you if I'm secure and if I'm safe and if I'm comfortable. God, I'll obey you if you give me this job that I need and I want. God, I'll, I'll obey you if you don't make me move here or give this up. 
The truth of the scripture is though, if we obey, it will oftentimes cost us. As I thought about this, I look around at our church from my perspective and it's actually pretty amazing because I see a lot of this in our church. I see high school age and for me, more specifically college age students, college pastor, so I get to spend a lot of time with them, who are obeying despite the cost. High schoolers, college students, I see you believing this book, living your life submitted underneath the authority of this book in such a way that despite what the culture says, you believe is true. Despite what the culture says about marriage, you believe this book is true because God wrote it. Despite what they say about gender, you believe it's true because God wrote it. Despite what they say about there's many ways to God, you say, no, there's one way, it's, it's through Jesus himself. And the culture doesn't like it. And you feel it. You call them bigot. They are offended, but you're doing it in a loving and gracious way, despite the cost. Moms, I see you who are exhausted from parenting, opening up your home for gospel hospitality. Whether it's a good friend, a neighbor, a stranger, a refugee, I see it all over the church and it's awesome. There's a cost there. It'd be a lot easier to lay down on the couch, put on some Netflix and relax. It is work to do dishes. It is work to cook. It is work to provide a, a space. I see families committed to making disciples and loving others and not just pursuing the American dream of their own self or desires. It's awesome. Exactly what Bill talked about a minute ago. Families who are not wasting their life, but who are saying, man, God has given me these resources, these abilities, these gifts, and I wanna maximize these, maximize these things for the glory of God so that one day when I stand before Jesus, he can look at me and say, well done. Not because of my merit or effort, because of his blood that's covered me, but, the, but with what he gave me, I was a good steward. I see it everywhere. And it's awesome. I see older couples who are investing in the next generation who know that their time is running out and are investing their lives spiritually in the next generation, knowing that they wanna leave a legacy for Christ. And it's awesome. And it's all because we have a God who is worthy. There's no God like our God. Unfortunately, Nebuchadnezzar isn't quite as amused by the response as we are. Look at verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. Our boy Nebuchadnezzar is mad. He is furious. I promote you, you are Jews in my land and I promote you and I give you this position of authority and now everyone is bowing down and you three clowns aren't gonna bow down? We'll see about that. Watch me, watch me torch you. He's saying pour out the lighter fluid, crank open the vents and let's smoke these punks. Disrespectful punks. Verse 20, he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. And these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. 
Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. So here we go. For a little context and to help us have a picture of this in our head, the furnace would have most likely looked like a big Coke bottle, glass Coke bottle, okay? So at the top, you would have had uh, the place where the flames were coming out and where people were lowered in. And at the bottom, you would have had a door where Nebuchadnezzar could see in, coal could be placed in, and then the ventilation for the furnace would, would come up through the door. Well, the furnace is so hot, the flames are billowing out of the top of it so much that the mighty men, notice mighty men, the strongest men of his army, come to the top of the furnace and they die. They're incinerated. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose up in haste and he declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fire furnace and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. There's no God like our God. What an amazing story. Notice too what the evil king intends for evil and for destruction, God uses for good. God sets his glory on display as all this list of men, the satraps, the prefects, the governors, all these officials who were just bowing down to the image previously are now witnessing one of the most amazing miracles, definitely the most amazing miracle they've ever seen. And what we see in this text, highlighted in verse 25, is that we have a God who is with us. We have a God who is with us. Nebuchadnezzar highlights the fact that there was four men and he says there is, the fourth is like a son of the gods. And it's interesting as you start to look at this, what does he mean by that? Well, you don't wanna probably take your theology from a pagan king, but what, we, what most commentators would agree on is that this is a pre-incarnate form of Jesus Christ. That the second person of the Trinity, Jesus himself, is with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And not only is he with them, he is walking around. And you see, something interesting was that he leads them into it. See, for me, if I'm writing the story and, and we have the, the luxury and the, I guess the curse, if you will, of knowing the rest of the story, right? So it's, it's difficult when we know the story because we know how this thing is gonna unfold. But it's, it just, I find it funny that God leads them into the fire. I mean, he is God Almighty, he can do what he wants. Why didn't he freeze the furnace over? The, uh, the king's heart is a stream of water in the Lord's hand. He could just change Nebuchadnezzar's heart. He could have a change of heart and say, hey, you don't need to go in the furnace. But it's not what happens, is it? God leads Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace. And not only does he lead them into it, but he frees them through it. Y'all notice this, verse 25, it says they go in bounds. 
And then when Nebuchadnezzar sees him, he sees four men and they're unbound, walking around in the midst of fire. The only thing the fire touched was the chains that were enslaving them. You see it? They were not harmed. Their bodies were not harmed in any way. They didn't even smell like fire. You can't go in jalapenos and not smell like Mexican food. These guys were in an 1800 degree Fahrenheit furnace and they did not smell like fire. But God burned away what was keeping them bound. And I love that. Because y'all, here's the reality as we've talked about. We're gonna suffer in the Christian life. And some of you come in this room this morning and in the same way he's led Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire, he has led you into the fire. The furnace of affliction, as the scripture calls it. And I want you to know, and I believe God wants you to know from this text, that he is with you in the fire. He is never gonna leave you He's not gonna forsake you. He is with you in the fire. Cancer diagnosis, there he is, right there. He's with you. Divorce, there he is, right there. He's with you. Pain, depression, anxiety, there he is. He is right there, he is with you. Even this week in the office across the street, we saw just multiple cases of suffering. There was heart attacks, as Bill has mentioned. There was a family who started chemo, the broken marriages. There was a guy who came in with chronic back pain. Another guy who came in with agony over a hernia. There is suffering among us, but he is with us in the fire. And I think for me, my temptation when trials and challenges come in my life is to run away from them. There's pain here, and so I'm gonna go away from the pain because that is where it's gonna feel better. But I think what God would want us to do is to see, to look up in the midst of the furnace and see, there he is. He's with us. And the goal is more of him. Hear the words of Isaiah 43, written about 100 years before, and you have to wonder if it was maybe echoing in their head. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. There's no God like our God. A God who is with us in the fire. Let's see how the story ends. Verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. 
Now catch this. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. You see the irony here. The king who before said, who is this God that's going to save you from my hands? Is now saying, there is no other God who's able to rescue in this way. I don't know what just happens, but that furnace was 1,800 degrees, and you guys are standing in front of me. God rescued them without a scratch. And you got to kind of wonder, okay, does Nebuchadnezzar get it at this moment? Is, is this clicking for him? Does he understand what's happening? And I think at this moment, he doesn't get it. And we're going to see next week in chapter four when he does get it. Bill's going to talk about that. But at this point, he was charmed by the miracle. Who wouldn't be? It was impressive. But he wasn't changed. He was, he was charmed by it, but there was no true life change in him at this point. But I think we would be amiss to not see that this rescue pales in comparison. Although amazing, although God-glorifying and extravagant, it pales in comparison to a rescue that would happen 600 years later. When the one standing in the fire was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the Lord Jesus himself would leave heaven. He would come to earth as a man. He would be born of a virgin. He would live the life that we were supposed to live and ultimately die the death that we deserve to die. That he was perfect in purity and in love and in obedience. He was God in the flesh. But he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He humbled himself. He became obedient and not just obedient, but obedient to the point of death. And not just death, but death on a cross. The most horrible form of murder in the society of the time. Do you see that Jesus himself went into the ultimate furnace of God's wrath, a way hotter furnace than Nebuchadnezzar? And he did it for us. He did it for you. He did it for me. He did it because he loves us. Consider this quote by Jonathan Edwards. The agony of Jesus Christ was caused by a vivid, bright, full, immediate view of the wrath of God. God the Father, as it were, set the cup, the cup of his wrath, down before him, which was vastly more terrible the Nebuchadnezzar's furnace. Christ was going to be cast into a dreadful furnace of wrath and it was not proper that he should plunge himself into it blindfolded as not knowing how dreadful the furnace was. But when he took that cup, knowing what he did, so was his love to us infinitely more wonderful and obedience to God infinitely more perfect. Jesus knew what he was facing. And for the joy that was set before him, knowing that it wouldn't end in death, but would end in resurrection, he endured the cross. And y'all, this is the greatest news on the planet. 
Because for us this morning, we come in all different places, but the, the remedy for the worst problem we have in life has already been solved. The death of Jesus Christ accomplished what we could never accomplish as he satisfied the wrath of God. And Jesus endured a blazing furnace on that day and ultimately rose so we could know him. That he would never leave us or forsake us, he'd always be with us and we would be able to see his worth and his excellence. There is no God like our God. He is worthy, he's with us, and he rescues. Let's pray and worship him. Father, we come and just thank you, Lord. The gospel is so good. Lord, we deserve the furnace of your wrath and we deserve hell, but because of the love with which you loved us, we not only get spared from that, but we get to be your children. We get to be loved by you. We get to know you, the greatest gift we could ever have, and we get to spend eternity with you, Lord. So I pray for those of us who believe that and who know that, God, would it stir us? Would it affect us? Would it change us? Would it impact us? Would we really believe the gospel this morning? God, would we not leave here unaffected by that news? And Lord, for those maybe who have heard it and are charmed by a compelling story but not changed, Holy Spirit, come. Come and open eyes to the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray it for your name and for your glory. Amen.